Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined as always by my co-host Dylan Ray, and we have with us uh, Brian Murphy from Hunt Stand, who is our newest corporate partner at Pope and Young. So, Brian, welcome to the show and welcome to the corporate partner program with Pope and Young. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much. Glad to be with you guys today. Yeah, it's um, this is a neat partnership. I I know we've been working to put the the finishing touches on this for a while. I'm excited about it, and I think it's a I think it's a really great fit. So, um, what I'd like to do is is can you give us a little background about yourself and you know your your bow hunting career and stuff, and and maybe some of the biology background, just so folks have a a better idea if they don't know who you are about Brian Murphy. No, I'd be, be glad to. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up as a hillbilly redneck kid in the foothills of the Ozark Mountains <laughs> in uh, northeast Oklahoma. Uh, started bow hunting at age seven. My father was an avid archer. Uh, so I had, you know, both gun and bow in hand as a country kid growing up, uh, you know, hunting, fishing, trapping. And, you know, but where I lived at that particular time in, in uh, northeast Oklahoma in the 70s, you know, deer were not a, a, something you could bow hunt. In fact, it, it wasn't even until I was about 11 or 12 years old that they even had a season in my home county for deer. That's how scarce deer were in that part of the world at the time. And so, you know, my bow hunting, you know, background started like most young kids and that's shooting, you know, rabbits and squirrels and, and, and that sort of thing. And just poking through the woods, you know, stump shooting and having a good time. And 
wasn't until a little later in life that I was able to, to, to bow hunt for the first time. And in fact, didn't take my first deer with a bow until I was in college, uh, only because that was when I had opportunity, uh, frankly, to hunt where deer were. Uh, but, you know, I was a, a young, you know, redneck kid, as I mentioned, and that uh, spurred my interest in in a career in wildlife management. And, you know, I was so fortunate at the age of 12 to, to read a magazine, an outdoor life magazine. I remember it vividly that uh, spoke about someone, a, a biologist working on deer. And so, uh, you know, it was my epiphany of my life at that at that ripe age of 12. And you know, convened a meeting with my parents. I thought that was normal and told them what I was going to do in life and uh, told them I was going to be a, a deer biologist. And uh, they kind of looked at me puzzled and, and, you know, literally asked me, is that a real job and does it pay money? <laughs> you know, I spent about, you know, the last, the next 40 plus years trying to figure that out. Uh, but no, it, it did uh, afford me a, a, a career in wildlife biology. Uh, you know, my family moved to Texas uh, when I was in middle school and, uh, did my undergraduate at Texas Tech University and got to cut my teeth on some some really, I think, innovative research on big buck movements in South Texas. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to be part of the very first helicopter net gun operation in in, uh, in the U.S. in South Texas, uh, where we went from the old drive net days to the helicopter net gun that came from New Zealand and uh, got to be on 12 consecutive years worth of helicopter deer work, uh, you know, over my career there. And I uh, ended up doing my graduate work on whitetails at the University of Georgia and uh, then got a, an opportunity to go overseas and actually work for the Australian government and be the first deer biologist in their country. Hmm. Unfortunately, where I lived there, it was illegal to bow hunt. Uh, even though these were native or non-native deer, uh, bow hunting was illegal in that part of Australia. And so the only four years of my life since I was seven that I didn't bow hunt was when I was down under. Uh, but But certainly that is my passion uh, is whitetail bow hunting first and foremost of any other recreational pursuit that I have uh, that I enjoy. Uh, but when I came back from Australia, uh, and the most most folks know me on this side of the world, if they know me at all, would be my, my affiliation with the Quality Deer Management Association. And I spent uh, 23 years there as CEO and kind of ran around the country uh, spreading the gospel of, of quality deer management. And, you know, that was my introduction Pope and Young, um, frankly, and uh, we had a lot of shared friends and common uh, causes. And uh, I was actually asked to speak on a, on two occasions at your national convention during those years, and enjoyed that very much. And uh, spoke one year on chronic wasting disease, and one year on kind of what was happening with the uh, uh, captive breeding in deer world, and some of the genetic manipulation and potential abuse of record animals and that type of thing. So those are some of the. Uh, you know, I spoke there. Uh, for the last two years, I retired from QDMA in 2020, and uh, not long after, joined the team at Hunt Stand, uh, the app, uh, hunting app that we'll talk a lot about today. Uh, but, but really, I wanted to join a company that I thought I could make a difference in, and that I thought also was making a difference. And uh, I wanted to, to work with a, a company or a product that, you know, allowed my my passion for hunting and conservation to continue and to make a difference. And, and that. My role there has allowed me to do that. So it's been a perfect fit for me and uh, a great journey. Excellent. Well, I don't know if, if we have discovered this yet. I don't remember it. But I grew up in northwest Arkansas. So the Ozarks are where I cut my teeth too. And uh, so when you said that, man, I tell everybody, I'm like, you're not going to kill big deer. Like even to this day, you're not you're not going to kill big deer. But it's so fun to hunt there. I, I love every second of being in the Ozarks. 
Yeah, it's still that part of the world, that belt belt of our country that kind of runs from the Ozarks across through southern Missouri, uh, over to Kentucky, Virginia. You know, that just that part of the country really just still speaks to me. And that's probably that's what I grew up. You know, that's what I remember most as a young child. But, yeah, in fact, our fur buyer that used to buy my furs when I was growing up trapping back in the day came from northwest Arkansas. So uh, probably somebody not far from where you grew up. Yeah, we're not the same era. Uh, you probably weren't even a, a twinkle in your mom's eye when I was selling my furs there. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, the, the geography's the same. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't talk about age on this program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because then he reminds me how old I am, and I don't appreciate that at all. <laughs> so, Well, that's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's interesting when you're talking because there's a lot of things like, like I can relate to so much of that. So I'm like, gee, you know, that's what got me into wildlife biology. And uh, it's like, you know, all I really want to do is go hunting, maybe fish every once in a while. And gosh, you know, how about if I just go to college for that and maybe that'll teach me to be a better hunter. And wow, what if I could even make money doing that? That'd be kind of cool. So it's, uh, it's in, it has provided me a lot of neat opportunities as well. So I can, I can relate on a lot of those levels. And so now, now how did, when you, when you were retired from, from QDMA there and you started to look, was this something that, hunt stand found you you had some mutual friends how did that connection take place for you brian well i i I was fortunate enough to have met the ceo of hunt stand lanford holloway while working at qdma in fact it was prior to the the company his company even existing it was he was just at the minimum viable product stage of of the company and he he called me uh, out of the blue and said you know introduced himself said i'm an avid qdma member from columbia south carolina uh i've got this new app idea that i want to share with you Will you, you know, indulge me with a little bit of your time? I said, yeah. on over. So he jumped in his his truck and drove over from Columbia to Athens, Georgia, where our national office was. And, um, you know, I gave him an hour or so of time. And, and I he gave, he presented what I continually remind him of was a pretty crappy PowerPoint presentation. Uh, the idea was good. His presentation needed a little work. Uh, but he was 26, uh, still in, in, in college. This was an MBA project idea that he just came up with. So this is the the sort of genesis of hunt stand. And, uh, you know, but I did, I did like him. I did believe in him. I could see that entrepreneurial vision in, in him and that spark, uh, that, that I appreciated. And I, and I told him, honestly, I, in fact, I reached on my desk, I had a piece of paper in a stack of others, pulled it out. And I said, well, you're now the seventh app idea that's been pitched to me in the last two years, uh, because everybody was coming up with apps, you know, a decade ago, right. you know, the, app for data collection on deer or, or, you know, agent or whatever. I mean, it was just app, 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 app. You know, it was just bam. It was just that hot sort of time frame. And I said, you know, you're number seven. And I said, the best I can figure, only two of these are still in business. So I can't give you a whole lot of optimism, but same token, it sounds logical to me that, you know, all of what you just shared with me makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's stay in business, you know, build a little bit of an audience and come back and we'll work with you at QDMA. And he did that and we did that. So, you know, excellent. You know, we we worked together, you know, uh, as partners the last six years while I was at QDMA. So I got to know him. And and more than anything else, I got to respect him and and truly appreciate his care for, for hunting and conservation. Yeah, he wanted to grow a successful company, but it was more than that to him. Yeah. Uh, and that was important to me. You know, after, you know, 30 years in the hunting industry, uh, I was fortunate enough 
you know, I didn't have to take a, another 80 hour a week job. Um, I wanted something worked for me at my stage of my life and my career and not work for somebody I didn't respect or a company that didn't do something I thought made a difference. You know, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, a handful of other offers and uh, this one was the best fit for me. And it's been a, just an incredibly positive ride all the way around. Yeah. That's great. And it's neat to see, having been in the industry for a while, it's, it's really neat to see folks that are that younger age class that are willing to that it understand the conservation part of this industry, you know, without conservation, we don't have hunting, you know, we don't well, have I mean, animals. You know, absolutely. And, you know, a great example of that is, you know, I wasn't with hunt stand even a year. And uh, he said, you know, I, I want you to take our company through a conservation visioning process and come up with the pillars of conservation that are foundational decision-making um, you know, uh, factors for our, our business. And this is a, you know, a for-profit app company. I mean, this is not yeah. a, contra- a non-profit conservation organization. And, you know, to, to, to me, that was music to my ears as, a, you know, uh, and so I took our entire team through that process where we said, what do we stand for? What, what is our why, you know, yeah. you know, what, what, what are we doing out there? What's our goal to help hunters and landowners connect with the land, have richer experiences, be more efficient with their time, uh, be safer, uh, be more successful. I mean, these are all the things that we talked about. We came up with four conservation pillars. And, you know, one of those was just to have the best tool set out there for hunters to do that with. And that's the app itself, obviously. Uh, you know, the other one was access. You know, can we improve access to both public and private land, helping people identify where these public land parcels are, where boundary lines are, where access points are. You know, you know the next was to partner with, with the right organizations, primarily the nonprofits, but there are a few other groups we do partner with, you know, that are already doing good work like yourselves. You know, can we help amplify your message and help you do what you already do well better by having a bigger voice? And, yeah. you know, that's one thing we we have is an incredibly large um, audience of, you know, two and a half million people. Uh, I mean, we're, we're right there with Bass Pro and Cabela's with the reach we have. Uh, and the fourth conservation you know, pillar we we had was the R three movement retention, uh, reactivation, and, and uh, uh, recruitment retention reactivation. The R threes, uh, and and you guys hit at least two, if not three, of those boxes for us. Uh, so you know, you know, and again, I've I've known you and worked with you guys off and on over the years. I respect everything that that you do and you stand for. Uh, you align philosophically with me personally, and and also of our company. So. It was really a no-brainer uh, for us to, to to reach out to you, and and thankfully you you know you guys wanted to you know c- consider some some mutual opportunities and and work together, and and uh, you know we're grateful that we found a, a path forward. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is remarkable though because in this in this industry, there's almost a circle that you see people take where they get into it and 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 it's like oh now I'm a I'm in the hunting industry and look at me, I'm really something special and I'm here for me. And then it takes people a while, not usually in their twenties to where they realize, Hey, you know, I started here. It's all about me. And then, Oh, I, I reached this other level of almost enlightenment, if you will, where, Hey, you know what? Hunting and the outdoors have been pretty good to me. Maybe it's time to give back. And it's, we notice that when you talk to people like, um, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of folks who've been in the industry a long time. Our speaker last year at the convention, you know, I mean, this is somebody that, that we all know, you know, here's Michael Waddell, the bone collector. And when you talk to him, you can tell that he's in the give back stage. You know, he's, we started talking about coming, him come to the convention. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, you know, how can I help? He says, you know, the, everything's been good to me and you know, how, how can I give back? And you see that, you know, you talk to other people and they're like, well, you know, I need this huge check just to show up to grace you with my presence. And it's like, okay. So how, how neat that they had the insight, you know, to, to have that in, in the starting up sense you know when they were just yeah, yeah and again we're, we're fortunate in that Lanford uh you know grew up he's an avid hunter uh, his family has multi-generational landowners they've owned one track of land in South Carolina now for you know I think they're on their fifth generation or something you know they come from it naturally organically it's part of their their DNA and so you know and and, and also applaud him at just personally that he's an old soul for a young guy he, he's he's matured you know very fast uh, and, and, and is at that stage much earlier than most people get to it. Uh, yeah. um, so, so yeah, so it's just a, a, a great opportunity, a great, great company. And, and, uh, one that I'm, I'm certainly very proud to be affiliated with. Yeah. Well, we were excited, you know, when, when this all came up and we're like, you just, you know, when you're out there, there, there are businesses that you hope you can do business with, you know, that, you know, if you had to, make a hit list you're like wow it you know sometimes you you do business with who you want to and sometimes you do business with who you have to and it's i've, I've been very encouraged <laughs> let's not start naming names on which yeah we won't name names <laughs> but it's you know but it's encouraging that you, you know here we have you know those two are are this like who you want to do business with is who you get to do business with here yeah. at Pope and Young. And so we were excited about it. I know I am, I know Dylan is, and, and, uh, I think it's going to be really good, uh, partnership moving forward for our members. And, and so we're excited about it. So as far as what, what excited me most was really, I mean, I heard hunt stand. I'm like another map, you know, yep. um, another online map for my app for my phone um what sets hunt stand apart map wise because when you started telling me those things i'm like yep that it's them let's do it you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah so you know yeah a lot of a lot of uh you know listeners would be familiar with other apps out there we're certainly not the only choice in the game however ours works very differently than uh you know a lot of hunters from out west would be familiar with onyx for example that's just you know one of the other offerings out there you know, we work differently in this sort of the logic framework of our app. Ours works on a hunt area concept. So you pick a piece of ground, no matter what kind of ground it is, public, private, your house, it doesn't matter. Just we call it a, a hunt area. And you can then, you know, mark that area up, save it, mark the boundaries, do everything you want and share an entire hunt area with another person or as many people as you want to, uh, frankly. Uh, so you can share an entire annotated map. Most of the other app offerings out there, you can share just single waypoints. You can drop a pin and share a pin. That's where my stand is, but he, you know, you may want them to have the entire property with all the different stand opportunities. Hmm. Out. So, and we also have, you know, most of, I think all, but I think I can safely say most of the other apps only offer a single satellite view. There's a number of satellite providers out there that we all can pick and choose from whose data we want to, to purchase. And, you know, for our apps, most pick a single one because that's cheaper than paying for several. 
we actually have three three different satellite main satellite layers. So we offer all of the different views. So one may have a more recent view of your property uh, than another. So one may be just clear because that's the day they took the imagery that was better. So we offer a lot of different uh, map views. And and frankly, you know, our mission is pretty straightforward right now, and that is to build the single greatest eastern hunting whitetail product on the planet. Not that it's not great west and, and other places, but you know, first and foremost. You know, we know that our core audience, you know, are whitetail, turkey, bear hunters from the eastern United States. Um, and so, you know, we are clearly focused on making sure that our functionality is superior to everybody else's on the planet when it comes to that type of hunter. Um, and and uh, again, it'll do all the stuff that all the other apps will do in the West, but most of theirs won't come close to ours in the East. Uh, and that's kind of the key separating factor. And price point also is an important one. You know, there, you know, our most expensive offering currently is $30 a year for the whole nation. Most of the other uh, competitors, you know, you're going to pay $100 or so for that type of suite of benefits, and they'll still fall short uh, to what HuntStand provides. So, you know, a lot of uh, current functionality. And, and uh, at some point during the call, I'd love to share some of the new functionality we're coming out with just literally within the next four to six weeks. And a couple of them are whitetail specific uh, tools that I actually personally created. So I'm kind of biased, but um, I think they're going to be just absolutely incredibly popular and useful to, to, to whitetail hunters in particular. See, see, now I've been doing this for like 30 years, but it used to be on one of those red. I, I, I was looking the other day because I, I had a little tour I was doing of a couple of states. I'm like, OK, where where are my red atlas you know, topo maps? And I, I found them in the gun room, but it's like, um, you know, back then you had to take out a highlighter. Okay. Here's the, here's the hunt boundary. And here's, and, and then you'd have to take a photocopy of that and hand it to your buddy. This makes it a little bit easier. Oh yeah. No, it's, I mean, how many hours did I spend at County courthouses pulling, you know, plats to see who owned a piece of ground down the highway that I mm -hmm. could hunt on. You know, I can pull up in our app now, you know, anybody's parcel, literally any parcel in, in, in the United States, it, it, anything that's in county rec in public records we have in our system. You know, I can pull up my home site, your home site, you know, the, the local park or any hunting parcel, public land, private land, you know who owns it, how big it is. Uh, we have an incredible search functionality now in the app that if you pull up, if you, you know, if you're, if, if you know down you know, where you live that, you know, Fred A. Smith owns a, a track that you're interested in maybe knocking on the door. You can actually see how many tracks Fred A. Smith owns, where they are, you, you know. Uh, and then if there's an address there, you can do a reverse search by address. And if other family members, if their tax bill goes to the same address, you can see all the land his family owns. Uh, you know, you can do a search by county and by acreage. I want to know properties 50 acres to 150 acres in my county. Boom, zap, got all of them listed. Um, so you can just do incredibly quick and powerful searching for, you know, property, you know, places to hunt, frankly. And, uh, you know, that just makes it so much more efficient. Um, you know, Jason, you're you know roughly my age or, and, uh, you know, we can both remember probably when the apps start hitting the market and, you know, my first inclination was, you know, I grew up hunting, fishing, trapping, a map to get me back to my truck or tell me where my stand is. I know where I hung my stand. It is incredible. All the things you can do. And now it's like, why would I not use it? You know, I can yeah. be more efficient. I have also been, frankly, more successful. And, and I hate to almost admit that this made me a better hunter. I've been more successful the last few years of my life than I have prior to that because I just know so much more about a particular area uh, in terms of access points or wind direction or something that I can get real-time data on. 
and adjust my strategy and fine tune it. And it's allowed me to take some, some, some great deer. In fact, you know, I took a beautiful mature buck with my bow last year that I literally can, you know, attribute to hunt stand, um, on a big property, a property that I'd hunted before. Uh, but I had, I didn't know where all the, the, the timber management had been done on the farm in, in the last year since I'd been there. And so with, you know, hunt stand, I was able to zoom in and figure out where the timber thinning had taken place where natural vegetation was better, a lot more likely to be holding deer. Uh, I was also able to determine that there was a food plot back in the back that had, had been planted, but the stand had been removed um, to, you know, during the timber harvest process. And so it was a food plot in the back of the best habitat on the farm that wasn't getting hunted. Hmm, maybe mm. go there. Uh, then I used, you know, my hunt stand app to determine, you know, the prevailing wind direction, exactly where to hang my climbing deer stand and shot up, you know, beautiful 140 inch eight point, you know, buck the first night on the field. I mean, it was just, you know, so yeah, you, why wouldn't you use the advantages we now have at the palm of our hand? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. It's, it's definitely come a long way and I, I'm st- I appreciate the new technology, but part of me still misses the maps. I still like the map. <laughs> I, st- I still get a printed newspaper, so I'm still old school to something. Yeah. yeah. I, now, see, I've never had the newspaper, but I do like my maps. So it's, uh, it, yeah, it's it's different. And, and some people, you know, especially some of these younger, they don't even know how to read a map. If they yeah. don't have, if they don't have an app or MapQuest or whatever it is, they're, they're just lost. They're not going to be able to look at a, at a map of the state or the town or the county and, mm-hmm. and find it out. But, well, we have, uh, you know, within the, within the app, once you, you know, select an area that you want to look at, whether it's a saved hunt area or just somewhere you're literally standing right now, looking at an area that you're saying, well, you know, you can look at, uh, as I mentioned, a number of different satellite layers and look at it different, different, with different satellite imagery. Then you can also go to a, you know, a topo map. If you can read a topo map lines, you know, you can go to what we call the real 3D view, which is literally like flying a drone on your property. You can take you can get a 3D from above. You can pan and zoom and fly through the property. And if you've got some topography, if you're in the West uh, or in some of the you know Appalachian country in the east, you can literally fly like you're flying a drone through the property and see the ridges and valleys and drop down into it. You know, you can see the Mm. leaf. We've got a number of other contour. We've got like you know, 15 different layers, you can look at a piece of ground. So you can analyze a piece of property till you go blue in the face. Um, and, 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 and each one offers something different. And sometimes you need multiple for a given task. If you're trying to find a particular you know, place to set up a deer stand and some, you know, you may look at, you know, five or six different layers until you figure out where to, that's the best place to put in a road or a food plot, for example, you know, and, and we even have soil data. So once you figure out where you're thinking about maybe punching in a little food plot, we have all the NRCS soil layer under every inch of North America. Push a button, mm-hmm. your soil, all your soil profiles come up, so you can tell what soils are best for you know. Again, it's just incredible all the depth. Um, you know, I, I I sort of liken it to a, a you know smartphone. Um, you know, most of us use probably 20 percent of what the capability of that phone is. That doesn't mean there's not a lot more functionality if you want it. And that's how hunt stand is. Um, most hunters would probably use about a third of the main features all the time. But if you want that other stuff uh, down down to an advanced ca- cam- uh, trail camera algorithm, you want to mark trail camera photos of a buck of choice, it will then calculate with a statistical degree of accuracy based on all the data that you have of photos from that buck. You can mark that particular buck you're after, and it will give you a probability of where that buck's going to show up next. So, I mean, it's, 
it just gives, goes on and on of, of what the, what can be done within the app. Wow. Does it do that for elk? Uh, <laughs> it, it, it will. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yep. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty sick. Uh, you know, most of our, you know, most users use it to mark the boundary of a property to mark the locations of deer stands and food plots and roads and structure camps, whatever it may be. But, but again, you can measure acreage of, you know, uh, just with one of our partner groups over the weekend, their chief operating officer was so excited to tell me two quick stories. And one was he was having a, a boundary dispute with a neighbor. Uh, where the act, where the boundary line was between he and his neighbor. And so he said, let's go out together and just try to figure this out. Let's try to be good neighbors and go out and kind of agree because it wasn't marked with paint on trees or anything. And so they're standing out there saying, it's got to be roughly in here. And and he said, well, let me see what hunt stand has. So he pulled up hunt stand and, he's, and, he, and it was, you know, he had to take about five steps to get to the, what, you know, the, the app said was the corner in the boundary line. And he took those five steps and he goes, well, according to the app, we're standing pretty much on the, the corner and he just happened to kind of kick the leaves beneath him. And literally there was the pin. <laughs> he was really? on top of the pin. Uh, and so that kind of just, you know, kind of solved that argument. And the other other quick story he shared with me over the weekend was that, you know, with the price of lime and fertilizer right now being just, you know, stupid, crazy high, you know, you, you don't uh, want to. Along with everything else. Well, yeah, with the yeah. diesel fuel and everything else it takes. So, you know. Food plotting is is an expensive thing at the moment. Um, it's always been you know a little bit pricey, but now it's getting a little crazy. But you, one thing you don't want to do is 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 spend any more on on lime and fertilizer than you have to. You know, right? You want to spend it what you need. So he pulled a soil test uh, on his farm. Uh, he's in, uh, in in Indiana. So he, you know he had like twenty eight whatever food plots, and so he went you know went to the local you know co op and said, you know, here's my soil test results. I need this much blended fertilizer of this combination. So, yep, we got it. So he comes out and he has a few different fields and he's standing at the last field, kind of watching them, you know, finish up. And, um, you know, they're still slinging, slinging material. And uh, he's down, they're down to their last lap before, you know, the truck's done with all the, you know, put it all out there. And he's starting to think, dang, I hope I didn't overestimate because, you know, you know, I bought that load of fertilizer. And, uh and lo and behold, about the time he said they ought to be running out about now, literally the truck ran out of material. Uh, he had, you know, because he had measured every food plot in hunt stand and it gives, wow. you, it gives you the exact acreage, you know, it's 2.012 acres, you know, and one three seven acres and you write all that down. And, uh, you know, that allows you to be very precise with, uh, you know, seeding and fertilizer and lime, whatever it may be. So anyway, uh, it's good to hear those kind of stories and make you feel like you're helping, helping folks achieve their, their goals. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's amazing just because, man, it's, I don't know, 30 years ago or, or so, you know, GPS, I, we use GPS to, to mark, you know, duck nests on, on a research project I was doing down in California and it, it wasn't even a GPS unit. It was literally a, it gave you the Latin long of of each thing and i think at that point it was within so many feet and it mm-hmm. wasn't even that close you know it was within 50 feet or something but yeah. but we'd record everything down so that we'd have it and and now all of a sudden you're literally zooming in on a corner pin of a property marker That's- yeah of course our data or any of our competitors data are only as good as the county flat data is yeah there's a discrepancy. It's not because we did something wrong because we don't have that control. We 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 update, you know, our uh, 
um, property information. You know, I believe it's quarterly. From what I understand, it takes a room, you know, about the size of my house uh, of servers, like, you know, day and a half to crunch all the data. It's a pretty big lift um, to, to oh. touch with all the, all the county land, you know, there's properties getting bought and sold every day in our, our country, obviously. Yeah. There's millions of them. So this is a lot of data that has to be sorted and, and, and matched and, and laid in. So it's not a not an e- easy lift for us. Um, you know, a couple of things that might be interesting to, to you know, your audience. Uh, one, we have just finished uh, mapping all of the crown lands in Canada. Uh, so people going north for, for hunts, uh, we're the only app that has that. Uh, and we've got um, the bulk, if not all of the uh, Ontario the data that are available, getting an ownership data in Canada is not as easy as it is in the U.S. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but we have we have more data for Canada than anybody else. So if you're going to Canada on a bear hunt or whatever hunt, um, we've we've got you covered. You know, I've got. Things. Go ahead. I'll bet I've got a stack this thick of landowner maps for all over Alberta and Saskatchewan. So, <laughs> well, if it's private land, you still may need those. If it's crown land, we've probably got you covered. So okay. I'd encourage you to take a look where you hunt and see what we've got for you. A uh, couple other things as a bow hunter, you know, that I've, I've used it for very specifically. Uh, you know, one of those is, is, is we often as bow hunters, you know, need to be in up close and personal and tight spots. And, and, and the access to or from that deer stand often is critically important. Uh, you know, you're just going to blow your opportunity if you don't come in the right way to a particular setup. And, you know, you may know your way in there, but in the dark, you know, if you don't have bright eyes or some other way in there, you can stumble around sometimes. What I like to do is go to that stand and, and use what I call a trace path function, which is simply pushing a button on the app. As you walk, it lays down a trail behind you and it follows you exactly as you walk. And you can walk the, the best way into that stand, you know, or out to or from one time, save it. And that way in the absolute pitch darkness, with the lowest setting on my headlamp, I can look at my phone and walk that exact line straight to that tree without having to stumble around with a flashlight sweeping the, the woods for my, my bright eyes or my flagging tape or whatever. So I can very efficiently, very quietly get to and from that stand. Um, I use that same uh, that same path function when I'm looking for a wounded deer uh, because, you know, we get on the blood, we start off and, you know, we start to lose blood. So what do we do? We pull out a roll of toilet paper. We put hats in trees. We make buddies stand on the last blood. Um, you know, whatever trick that we've, we, we all yep. like. And, and, and you don't have to do any of that. Um, all you have to do is put that path function on. And as you're walking along, every time you think you're about to the last blood, you drop a pin, a marker, and you keep rolling. And at the end of it, if you want to, you know, take a break, go back and have, you know, have dinner, you can save that last uh, point go back, have, have a meal, come back at midnight and walk straight to that pen. You don't have to guess where, where were we on that ridge and, you know, trying to find that toilet paper up in the tree. No, you walk right back on that line, right back to that last blood and start again. Um, very efficient. You know, once you recover and find that deer, you can, you can literally then zoom back out and figure out the closest, you know, direction to the road may not be how you came in. So there may be a quicker exit, yeah. you know, get the UTV in or the pickup or, you know, the bodies, uh, human bodies to come get the deer. So, there's just ways and also use that to systematically search areas, completely lose blood and you're blind searching for an animal. You know, we think we walk pretty straight lines in the woods. I promise you, we don't. Um, and so, you know, I'll put that trace path function on and walk transects and then check my accuracy of those transects by looking at, you know, the land. And often I'll miss areas that are, you know, bigger than my house. 
where the deer could easily be. And if you don't check those areas and just keep going further and further and further out from the point of the shot, your margin of error and your, therefore your chance of success get just, you know, terribly low at that point. So there's a lot of ways to make you, you know, more efficient at not just, you know, getting a shot at the animal, but recovering that animal. If you, if you make a shot that uh, proves to be lethal. Yeah. All, all of which are, are definitely important. You know, nobody likes to lose one. No, it happens, but man, it just, that's that, that ruins not only your day, but, but, uh, a lot longer. In fact, uh, we had a chance to visit with some folks at, I think it was at ATA last year. And it was a lady that was getting, um, she's making a really big effort to get more women into bow hunting. Mm -hmm. And she says, that is the number one thing that, that potential, um, female bow hunters are, they're just, there's more, you know, not scared of snakes or bears or anything like that. They're scared of, of losing one. So anything yeah. we can do like that to help yeah. ensure the uh, successful recovery is, is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what does this, what does the, the Pope and young hunt stand partnership, what does that do for our members, your map users? What does that do for them? Well, obviously, you know, our goal is to is to introduce your audience to to our our platform. We think it has a lot of merits and will stand on its own. And and the you know retention rate we have annualized retention rate of our existing two million customers is so high it's it's crazy. We know if people will use it, they'll love it. So you know, our our goal is to is to work with partners that we support and we support the mission of those groups and to get our platform in in our users' hands. Uh, you know, under some scenarios under this partnership, some of your members may be entitled to a you know a free one year trial of HuntStand Pro. Uh, under different scenarios, they may be offered a discount. Uh, again, the most expensive product we currently have is thirty dollars, so we're not talking about even if you pay market price for it, you're not paying much for the, the incredible you know tool set. Um, you know, so it's 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 also you know the organization benefits because we have such a, a big a big reach. Uh, you know, again, our our you know email list is over two million. Uh, you know, we can amplify your message, your mission, to a wider group of folks and and introduce new people to what Pope and Young's about. You know, there there are some. You know, I, I run across thousands of hunters. You know, throughout my career, and you know, many know exactly what you guys do. Some have some possible idea, and others have it wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, something, well, aren't they just the guys that, that, you know, keep the record books? Uh, well, they do that, but do you know what they do on, on the advocacy side? You know what they do on the, you know, all these other fronts that you work that I'm aware of that many hunters aren't. Um, yeah. Well, and even, yeah, even when you mentioned earlier, you know, where you started hunting, they didn't have a bow season and, you know, that's why we were founded And most people I've been a 30 year bow hunter didn't know that. Yeah. I'm like, gee, I, I had no idea that the records were created to prove that this was a legitimate weapon and we deserved a season for it. So, yeah, yeah, no, you know. no doubt, no doubt. And, 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 you know, we are blessed as, as a country to have, you know, great bow hunting opportunity, but, you know, unless you're my age uh, or close to it, you don't remember the days when we didn't, uh, these yeah. things come about in my lifetime and they've come about because of the work of your organization and, and a few others, but largely yeah. you've been the point of the, the, the broadhead pun intended, I guess, uh, and, and, and done an incredible job. So, you know, we have a lot to, to be grateful for, but we need to be thankful and also don't take it for granted. Uh, right. 
Oh, that's the thing that scares me because, you know, I can tell you, I've done a lot of, you know, been involved with a lot of the research on how the U.S. public views hunting, different types of hunting with dogs, without dogs, with, for predators, for furry animals. Yeah. I, I spent my career worrying about these things because I ran a conservation organization. You have to be aware of them. And I can tell you that bow hunting is one of the things that the antis think they have the chance at cracking. Um, you know, they, they do want to make that, try to make that argument that it's, you know, inhumane, that it's cruel. Uh, so, you know, of, of, of all the, the you know, types of hunting out there, you know, certainly bow hunting is one that will continue to get scrutiny and, and will continue to get attacks from the side. And, you know, I, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I spent some years in Australia you know, I happened to be there when the government confiscated their firearms and I stood in line with my Australian friends who, you know, didn't just give up their hands and quit, you know, yeah, let's give up our guns to the government. These are as tough of folks as you'll ever meet. So don't, don't act like, you know, we couldn't happen here. Trust me, they thought the same thing. And, um, you know, when I stood in line with them as they cried, literally, while handing in family heirlooms to the local police departments, that left a visceral response in me. And uh, in fact, I had a shotgun that had I not had someone, my mother, to ship it back to in Texas at the time, I would have had to leave one of my own shotguns there that I took over. Um, mm. You know, that starts getting pretty personal uh, when your own guns are, you know, under under the threat of con- you know confiscation from a from a government. So we can't rest on our laurels or, or just it for the last you know fifty years. Largely, we're going to have it the next fifty. It's not a it's not a given, and that's uh, yeah. That, you know, we need to keep, you know, keep fighting the good fight and uh, and keep showing and, and lifting our game and being as responsible uh, ethical hunters as we can be and, and, and ingrain that culture and, in, in, you know, across the across the board. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's, you know, especially with the social media and and whatnot, it's and I've been guilty of this of. You know, hey, you know my friends the the folks that are looking at the stuff i post you know what they don't care if they're they understand that when a deer you know gets shot and dies there's going to be blood mm-hmm. and so you know i've been guilty out oh, so there's blood that's just part of the game and you know people have been like with the magazine and what we post on the website they're like hey we've got to clean this up it's got to be better and and i've caught myself sometimes thinking why we're hunters we but everybody's watching it's not just the hunters that are looking at your website. It's these other people and, and they're masters. I mean, they don't have anything else to do. They're not hunting. They're not yeah. fishing. They're not scouting. They're not hanging tree stands or creating food plots. They're sitting in their mom's basement thinking of ways to take those rights away from us. And the sad thing is they're very good at it and yeah. they're watching. And if they can use our own words or posts or pictures against us, they'll do it. And there well, no, no doubt, no doubt. We got to always keep in mind that, you know, right now, you know, hunters in America represent about four, four and a half percent of the U.S. population. That's tiny, right? Four and a half. We enjoy something that, very, you know, very few people get to do, you know, pursue a pastime that only four percent of Americans you know do. And only about, a, you know, roughly a quarter to a third of those are bow hunters. So you're talking about, a you know, we're, we're a small subset of the American public. You know, thankfully, uh, at least when it comes to to deer and elk and some of the big game, we've got pretty widespread support for our legal right to do that. Uh, but, you know, let's face it, those things can, you know, they can swing quickly and uh, yeah. we just have to always be aware that we are, you know, we, we, we're in our, we're in a cocoon, you know, we hunters that, 
share things like we're talking about today and the listeners are going to be pretty much all aligned with us. And you know, we're talking to the choir here. Yeah. Uh, we're still only a couple of singers in a, in a, in a big group of, of, of singers out there. Uh, yeah. It's uh no, it's, it's interesting when you talk about some of the research, um, I was at the, what was it? The North American wildlife meeting, I think two and a half years ago or so. And it was when it was in Denver and they brought in uh, the group that does all the studies and and the research. And I mean, they've got the data on, on all this different stuff. And I had some good conversations with them um, because I know in the, sometimes in the hunting community, like bow hunting, you know, some of the rifle hunters will take a shot. Oh, I found a deer with the, you know, with the broadhead in his shoulder. And it's like, okay, well, guess what? I shot one with a bullet in his shoulder. It's, it happens both ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, but among the non-hunting public, um, they actually, bow hunting was the most um, socially acceptable of of all the disciplines out there and it's um apparently people think they're like you know it's not easier it's definitely harder you know they feel it gives the animals a a greater chance and and it's a more level playing field and that one when they told me that i was absolutely shocked about that i i wouldn't have i wouldn't have figured that but it's yeah uh, yeah you know something i found um Back when I was working with the Quality Deer Management Association, we pioneered the field to fork program that many people are familiar. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, our target audience were adults who had some interest in hunting but had never hunted before. It's not a kid program. This is an adult mentorship program. And we have males and females, probably two thirds male, one third female, uh, anywhere from thirty to seventy years of age, generally some in their twenties even. But you know, adults. And and just as you pointed out, you know the 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 three sort of big things that came came up with with them is they wanted to understand the why, you know how hunting fit into conservation. It really was part and parcel of of conserving a species effectively for the long haul. They wanted to be sure that they could take an ethical take and make an ethical shot on an animal. Mm-hmm. And the third thing was, what in the world do I do with it once I find it? Uh, uh, you know how to, how to then you know recover that animal, find find it gut it, skin it, quote it, or at least get it to a processor. You know, how do I, how do I recover that animal? So those are really the three big hurdles. And what we found with the the shot part of it is that, you know, many of them had an apprehension of firearms. They came from walks of society that had ill-conceived notes or or thoughts about, you know, use of firearms, the noise, the recoil, the, just the whole thought of it. So we actually started them with, you know, I hate to say crossbows. I know those aren't certainly popular, but, but it, for them, it was a, a great fit because it, it bridged the gap and many of them became vertical bow hunters. Um, many became gun hunters, but, you know, they started with, you know, at least archery style tackle because of that very thing. They wanted to make an ethical shot, but they didn't want the thought of a gun going off in their hand. And most of these in a few weeks training, you know, weren't ready for a vertical bow just yet. Um, a couple of them yeah. did on and i was impressed with those that did showed up with their own vertical bows and 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 worked at it and and some were successful so uh but yeah I, i'm i think you're spot on with your you're thinking there you know the public the, who understands what hunting is about realize the, the challenges that we self-impose that often as bow hunters um yeah it's nobody does it because it's easy yeah it's it's definitely not the easy way to go but it's it is rewarding and it gives you a you know, a lot of folks talk about 
the, you know, intimacy, if you will, and the interactions that you have at that, let's say the 80 yard mark where with the rifle, the hunt's over, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're carrying stuff back to the truck, but with a bow, you're, you're still hoping to get into the game. Yeah, no. And yeah, it's, it can be one of the most rewarding and yet frustrating. And that's what, you know, the, the value of anything in life to, to the, the human experience is, you know, inverse to the difficulty in which it was took to achieve it. You know, the harder you have to work for something, the more it means it's just common sense. Um, and, you know, if you want to, you know, reach the pinnacle of your hunting uh, career, in my opinion, it's, it's, you know, with a vertical bow, matching wits against one of the sharpest animals on the planet. And thankfully the whitetail fits that bill for most folks and it's available to most. And so, you know, I have, you know, been doing it for a lot of years. I mean, a lot of years. And, you know, I've, I've been successful the last 25 years in a row since I've returned from Australia where I couldn't hunt. I've, been, I've taken at least one whitetail with a bow every year for 25 years. But I, has, I have also looked like a dadgum blooming idiot more times than I can count. I have found new innovative ways to screw up a bow hunt that somebody with my years of experience should not do over and over again. Um, I, I'll go through stretches where I'll make, you know, just perfect one shot pass through recover him in 50 yards. And then I'll go through where I miss him completely. And I shank shots and I spook them. And, you know, I just, you know, it's, I, I don't play golf much anymore, but I, I liken it to your golf game. You know, if you want to, you know, go do something that is incredibly frustrating, <laughs> uh, but at the same time rewarding, um, you know, that's, that's, that's your, that's, that's sport for you. Yeah. Uh, I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I used to golf a little bit and I was never a golfer. I just had a set of clubs. So it was, it was never pretty. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I think some people like when they're practicing their, their archery stuff, they liken it to hitting a bucket of balls and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm pretty good. Cause I made a good shot. And I'm like, yeah, but you shot 16 arrows to get that one <laughs> shot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know that's how I was with golf. I'm like, oh man, do you see that drive? And they're like, yeah, man, that's your second bucket of balls. It's about time yeah. you hit one good. Exactly. But yeah, you think as hunters too, you know, yeah, it's, it's obvious that by having to be close to the animal that you're going to see a lot of animals that you can't shoot. Therefore, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to be forced yep. to watch animal behavior uh, and see things that you would never see as a gun hunter uh, because you'd be able to shoot that animal and be done with it. Yeah. Uh, and, and more often than not, in fact, you're going to see animals you can't shoot uh, with a bow. And so it forces you to be observant, forces you to work harder at getting your stand in the right place. And, and, and you have to learn that, you know, that fine art of when to make your move as a bow hunter, you know, when to yep. draw, um, how to draw, uh, how to stop the animal, how to make the shot, how to get the mental clarity and focus you need at that moment of truth. Uh, and, and you know, how many new bow hunters can stack arrows one after the other 20, 25 yards and go out there and miss a deer completely yeah. uh, because they have yeah. mental, mental, just, you know, uh, washout syndrome. Um, so there's a, there's a mind game to it. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible, and, and, uh, you know, a lot of philosophers from deep past were archers because of that mental connection to mind and body. And, and so there's a lot there. It's a, it's a deep sport if you want to dig deep into it. Yeah. So, well, well, Brian, one question that we ask every guest on this show is that when you find yourself up, up in a tree stand or hiking in the backcountry, what is one piece of non-traditional gear that you always have with you that you can't leave, leave the house without? Oh gosh. I, I don't know that I have anything, all that non-traditional. Um, 
I'll, I'll tell you mine. I, I always have hunt stand with me. No matter what. <laughs> well, that's uh, now that we got over two million users, that's probably not yeah. non-traditional much anymore. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably probably the most unique thing I've carried uh, for a number of years that probably maybe the only set person using them in the nation is a lot of people carry rattling antlers. Obviously, during the season, during the rut, to, you know, rattling bucks. And I, but I've always found that um, traditional whitetail antlers are they're big, they're bulky, they're odd shaped, they don't fit in your pack well. There's kind of a pain in the butt to carry with you often if you're you know lugging them uh and and i'm not just a big fan of the rattle bags that are small um i like real antlers so i actually found that uh straight shafted fallow deer antlers <laughs> uh fit together well and i've got two that fit just like two paddles two almost paddles i've cut off the, the brow tines in the base and i can wing nut them together into a single piece side of a, of a young two different young fallow deer but anyway i'm probably the only one toting you know fallow deer antlers up a tree in the whitetail country and rattling with them but uh they work well for me and uh, another trick i've learned um years ago that uh, is quite successful particularly early in the bow season is um you know if you've got uh, you know does out there in range and you're actually trying to get a doe to come into range that uh fawn bleeds a lot of people know that you can fawn bleed a doe in the in the, in the bow range but what i've Bind with that that works incredibly effective it sounds crazy is i'll lower down a piece of a, you know four or five piece inch of toilet paper white flag on my pull-up rope and i'll dangle that white that white flag or toilet paper at the base of my tree while i'm doing a fawn bleed and that white tail or flag just it it suckers that doe in she'll come right into bow range to check it out so if you're trying to get that doe into bow range uh you mimic a fawn bleed and put that white tail down there at the bottom of your tree. You'll you, you got a good chance she'll come 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 into bow range. Check it out, and it works. Mm-hmm. Too. I've actually done the same thing with uh, doing a doe a doe uh, grunt um, and and that uh, white flag in and brought bucks into range. So uh, little tricks like that I've learned. Very cool. Maybe a little nice. Different. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it it it's you feel a little stupid lowering down something white you know, down at the base of your tree and flipping it around in the leaves. But if you combine that with some vocalization or something that, you know, just a curiosity factor alone, but I guess that white tail mimics the white tail of a deer, obviously, and, and gives them some. And, and if you, you know, I've done it often where I, I'll do a fawn in distress with it and it'll look like a fawn flopping in the leaves at the base of my tree with that fawn in distress bleat. And, um, you know, that a doe that has, you know, has a fawn at foot or, or not far from it, you know, early in the bow season, you know, so yeah. That maternal instinct kicks in, and they got to come check it out. Huh? That's that's a good tip right there. Uh, uh, although I, I've had a couple of hunts where, man, I wouldn't want to give up any toilet paper just to be <laughs> dangling on her. <laughs> you can always pull it back up if you need it. I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Brian, we uh, we sure appreciate you being with us today. We're really excited about this new partnership that we're we're putting together and uh, appreciate you guys uh, taking the step up for, for bow hunting and for conservation. So thanks for all you guys do to facilitate what we all love. Well, thank yeah. Thank you. All. And I'll, I'll leave it with just a couple of tidbits of some, some things yet to come that are coming soon for, for our app. So kind of whet the appetite and we hope to get these out sometime, you know, by the end of August, early September this year. So not far. One um, is a new whitetail uh, rut layer for the entire United States. So I have pulled all the data for every state in which whitetails exist. I worked with all the state deer biologists to get that. 
uh, crunched it all down. So now we have a color-coded whitetail rut map of the United States to the county level. So every county in America, we've got a two-week peak whitetail rut um, you know, date set for everybody. So that'll be a, a nice thing if you're trying to plan a hunt and look at some, some dates. Uh, first one to ever get that done. Uh, nice. That was a big lift. Uh, the other thing I've done is created a, um, a, a science-based, uh, biology-based algorithm that it works much like a weather forecast, but it's a deer movement forecast. Uh, and it works up to seven days in advance where you can look at the uh, any of three periods per day, morning, midday, or eve afternoon hunts, uh, up to seven days. So you can look at 21 diff different possible hunt periods uh, 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 of the week ahead. And it will uh, then give you a statistical probability based on everything we think we know about whitetail, what drives whitetail movement, uh, so that you have some, some idea of when deer activity may peak and therefore when you might be more successful. Uh, so hmm. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, we've also worked with a, a, a GIS, uh, geospatial mapping company, to create a whitetail habitat suitability layer. So it will tell you inherently better sites for whitetail habitat in, in our country. So you can look at a layer of the country and, and overlay where you live and kind of, if you're looking at, you know, ground to knock on doors or lease or, or public land, you can see at least where on those areas are more likely to have better natural habitat features and therefore may, may hold slightly more whitetails relative to areas near them. Um, and we got a new layer coming out on crop crop layers. Um, all of the crops planted. You know, if you hunt the agricultural Midwest, you know what what crops are out and where. That's a pretty important layer for a lot of folks. So, wow. You know, some of the things we're adding. So we're always working hard to come up with new things that will uh, you know serve hunters well. Absolutely, especially when gas is five bucks a gallon. <laughs> yeah. You know, you used to have to just drive around with a landowner map and say, "Oh, that's wheat. This is barley. Here's something else, corn." And uh, now you guys do all that for us. Yeah. So we're, we're always thinking, you know, our entire team, you know, we're all avid, avid hunters, many bow hunters on the team. So, uh, you know, we're always just thinking, you know, what can we do? What, what, what are we missing that uh, an app can be a, a you know, a, a transfer mechanism of that information or tool set to a hunter. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, this has given me an opportunity to play biologist and, and, and create these tools and work on some yeah. stuff. Just, they're a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, we're excited about the market with these new features and uh, hope to have them out real soon. Excellent. Well, Brian, that sounds exciting. Even more to check out and learn. So uh, you guys keep coming up with the innovation and uh, we'll keep appreciating it. Thank so, you. Appreciate, really appreciate what you guys uh, do out there for all hunters, uh, bow hunters in particular, but uh, just to, to move the needle forward and be part of the conservation movement in this country that makes uh, – what we have so great and so precious. So thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks.